1: another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Paul Hodewanik of WCCO Radio. And we were having a discussion right before we went on. It's like, all right, now we've reached this point where we've got OTAs and mini camp, And so each week, we're going to have a couple of storylines in the middle uh, of the week. And there are going to be some things to discuss, who's out there practicing, health updates, things like that but also it leaves the door open for some other conversations that can be fun. And I have come up with the Vikings randomizer where I push a button and it tells us what player we need to talk about. So we've got that, but I I wanted to ask you first though, Paul, one of the things that Kevin O'Connell was talking about yesterday during his press conference was about being more than just an offensive minded head coach. And I think what I've come to is the conclusion that the number one storyline of the Minnesota Vikings 2022 heading into the year is their head coach because the players on the offensive side are not all that different. And on the defensive side, there are different faces, but a lot of similar talent level where they can adapt and they can be a little bit better than they were last year. If things work out with Ed Donatell's scheme, but what will eventually Really determine the season is did they have a better offense? And so give me a give me a one to 10. How much pressure should be on Kevin O'Connell? Like, how much pressure should we be putting on Kevin O'Connell to be better than Mike Zimmer as a head coach? I would
0: say maybe a five. I'm kind of right in the middle. I think there's two contrasting styles to this. I think the Vikings didn't really change their roster. And so that's telling you hey, we believe we're a coaching staff away from being a better team. When they don't make big roster overhauls, when they don't commit to a rebuild, when they go out and sign Darius Smith and trade back in the first round and kind of opt for not taking a premium player at 12 and just not opt for a clear direction, what they're saying is we were satisfied enough with everything else around us except our head coach and GM. And so in that instance, that puts Kevin O'Connell in a spot where you say, hey, we're counting on you to be the difference here. We're counting on you from getting us to eight wins, to 10 wins, 11 wins, to making the playoffs. Like, you are the X factor. And so that, I think, would kind of push him, you know, higher up. the seven, eight pressure. But then you have to consider he's a first-year head coach. He's never done this before. He's never called plays. So to immediately put pressure on him to be a 10, 11 win coach is setting him up to fail just because, you know, if we were just, if we did this a thousand times, how many times are they a 10, 11, win team? That feels like a less likely outcome for a first year head coach. When you don't know what his leadership style is going to be. You don't know what he looks like calling plays. You don't know what he looks like working with the defense. You don't know all those things. So I would put it right at about a five, because I'm balancing the fact that the, the Vikings ownership and basically said, We need you to be the X factor, but I also don't want to put too much on him as a first year head coach. I feel like that's when, you know, he either falls to artificial standards that shouldn't have been set that high, or he kind of crumbles under pressure that maybe he shouldn't have had. So I think you kind of set it right at the middle. He doesn't have no pressure. This team has some aging players. It has a quarterback they have to make a decision about. So there is a quite a bit, quite a bit of pressure, but to put it at an eight or a nine feels unjust for a first year head coach. Anyone that you're throwing into that is, is tough, especially when it's the first time around, if this was Harbaugh that we had here. Okay. Maybe the pressure ramps up, but he has never done this before. So to get it higher than, you know, a seven feels, you know, just unfair to him. So I'd, I'd put it kind of right in the middle, right at a five.
1: Yeah. I think that what they want it to be is probably where you have it and where it's fair is probably higher because if you wanted a head coach who was going to take you to eight or nine wins with a veteran roster led by an old and expensive quarterback, well, then you could have stayed with the head coach that has a pretty darn good head coaching record. Let me call this up on pro football reference, because I've mentioned this about Zimmer's record before, but I don't know where he ranks like all time in terms of win percentage. So let me see if I can figure that overall. Now, the last two, three years were not so impressive, but it's not like they're going from Joe judge to Brian Dable, where if the guy can competently like get you through training camp without any headlines about what a bizarro weird guy he is, then you're good. Like that's not Kevin O'Connell. I don't think uh, unless things change really seriously in the next few weeks, he seems to be a very calm guy uh, and not like a complete football sociopath. But I also think that when you're moving on from a coach, who was, say, fringe top 10 head coaches in the league, and it had as much success as he did before, then I think that the pressure and the standard does have to go higher. And just because you say out loud competitive rebuild does not mean that we have to look at it and say, oh, competitive rebuild, because that didn't match up with the things that they did. Now, if it had then I would change the pressure meter. Now, uh, also, you can't go nine or 10 because nine or 10 means you're fired. And like that was last year for Mike Zimmer. That was nine, 10 pressure. But I think it has to be higher than a four or five because the patients cannot be that we sit here and go, well, look, it's his first year. And so what if he botched that two minute drill? So what if he kicked the wrong field goal or punted it at the wrong time? Or so what if the players were confused about his scheme or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that O'Connell is, is a, a safe head coach. With the idea that he's not going to be like a totally crazy person and have no idea what he's doing because of his amount of experience in the league. But there is nothing in the world that prepares you for being the head coach of an NFL team. Like, look at pictures of Mike Zimmer, who was one of the most accomplished defensive coordinators in the NFL before he took the job with the Vikings. Look at pictures of that man. And then look at pictures of when he left. And it wasn't that long, it was like, what, seven or eight years? I mean, that job will take years off of your life. And, you know, there's no preparing Kevin O'Connell for a lot of the things that come up. Think of the things that went down during the Zimmer era from Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Adrian Peterson, it starts right off with 2014, even up through last year, Everson Griffin and, you know, Delvin Cook and injuries and, and drama and egos and offensive coordinators and like all the things that go down. Uh, you want a little less of that with Kevin O'Connell, but it's the NFL. I mean, go to any NFL city and be like, "Hey, is your team dramatic?" Like, "Oh my God, yeah, of course." This, 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 and this happened. We just notice it more, I think, uh, because it's the Vikings. But you know, I, th- I I do think that there is maybe seven or eight out of ten that no, he's not going to be fired, but he will be judged harshly because the standard is set to it's not that you have to turn around a team that won four games. That's pretty easy to do. Kevin Stefanski, for example, he shows up in Cleveland. They have like one win. Okay. Oh my gosh. You got us to nine. Like Freddie kitchens was your coach before a complete clown show. If you even just show up and don't embarrass yourself on day three, you're good. But with Kevin O'Connell, I I think it's, I think it's quite a bit different than that for the situation that he takes over. Yeah. I just,
0: you talked about it a little bit. We saw what pressure did to Zimmer when he felt like his back was up against the wall. He stopped playing the young guys like that would have developed. And he went with the older guys. He became much more my way or the highway. And and again, yeah, O'Connell wouldn't rise to that amount of pressure, but I don't want to put him at a spot where he is sacrificing the long-term development of some of these players on this roster to immediately try to be good right away, because there's pressure on him to immediately improve, from this roster and from this season a year ago. Like, if it makes O'Connell fall back into some of the same traps that Zimmer fell into, in terms of just not testing some of those guys you really want to see, are if they're going to be important pieces of the roster beyond this year. Like, Kevin O'Connell won't be the long term of Kevin O'Connell shouldn't be judged on this year. It should be judged on year two, three, four, when he has a little bit more time, at least in my estimation. Obviously, this first year, is important and probably more important than most first-year head coaches would be just because of the situation he stepped into. So that is true. But if he's sacrificing anything for this first year and not trying to push buttons for future years, I think that becomes troubling. So putting too much pressure on him to immediately vault from 8 to 11 wins just feels like you're sacrificing the long-term future, which, I mean, is kind of what they've done in some of the moves that they've made but i don't know if i want the coach to fully commit to that i don't know what what's your thoughts
1: well uh, yeah i mean so when it, as it pertains to playing players for the future if that's part of his thought process he shouldn't shouldn't do it he should just play the best players that are going to win him games because that's the roster like you shouldn't play wyatt davis over chris reed at right guard and have him get destroyed and get Kirk Cousins sacked a bunch of times for development purposes, because that's not the approach you took. If they did take that, then I would say, absolutely have at it. Whoever is playing quarterback, maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, if look, if uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets sacked, oh, well, you know, like who cares? Sorry, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you're an awesome guy, but it doesn't matter. You're trying to develop players and you just need a competent quarterback to get out there and have some fun. That's not the way that they went with this. And I I think that we, because he is a first time head coach, we want to automatically, as is our nature, say, all right, look, give the guys some space, let them learn, see what happens. But in a similar way in town to Rocco Baldelli, for example, or even when Tibbs was hired as the head coach, this is kind of that way. Where it's like, well, it's the coach that needs to change. That's the thing that's supposed to take it to the next level. So here's Tom Thibodeau for you. Like just because it's not Jim Harbaugh doesn't mean that it should be viewed differently to me because it's the, the the way that the roster was constructed. So I think that there should be the pressure. And just because like Kevin O'Connell is a younger guy and doesn't come across as a lunatic doesn't mean we should be nicer or or yeah. not nicer but like less less um I don't know rigid when it comes to this. I think we should be. Like, I, yeah. I really think that that there's always this tendency to sort of acquiesce like here in Minnesota that it's like, oh, well, you know, hey, the Wolves, they finished seventh. Like that was a fun season. though. It's like, OK, right. But they traded players to get stars and got eliminated in the first round. Like that's not good enough. right? Just because yeah. you had some fun. It's just not good enough. You blew multiple 10 point leads. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. the same way with the Twins they set the home run record and they get eliminated in the first round and go, well, it was a fun season. Like, no, it's not. I mean, yes, it was, but like, that's not what the standard should be when you have a a lineup like that and a roster like that. And uh, you know, I think that, you know, maybe head coaching in football has more to do with winning than say basketball or well, maybe, maybe basketball, people would tell me I'm wrong there, but baseball for sure. I mean, the guy just shows up and like, tries to keep everybody, not calling each other's eyes out, I think, is the job for a baseball manager and read the computer uh, and do what it says. <laughs> Sorry, Rocco. Yeah. I'm sure that's wrong too. Uh, anyway, I found Zimmer's record, by the way, win percentage. The coach, <laughs> so it's 562. The coach right ahead of him is Wade Phillips, our guy, Wade Phillips. Two spots up, three spots up, is Bill Parcells at 569 win percentage. Zimmer is 562. He's right ahead of Marv Levy, who's a Hall of Fame coach, ahead of Brian Billick, ahead of Jimmy Johnson, ahead of Chuck Pagano, ahead of Mike Shanahan, not too far behind Frank Reich. Uh, Don Correale is kind of in that ballpark. Mike Holmgren is not at 60% win percentage. Neither is Pete Carroll. The point just being that you know, Zimmer's name in terms of his win percentage for what he did is in the ballpark of a lot of very, very good coaches. And in order to be better than that, Kevin O'Connell has to have some really good ideas of what they're going to do, particularly with the offense. Now, let me ask you a question, Paul, based on early impressions, very earliest of early impressions. Who do you think is a comparable coach? To Kevin O'Connell who would be the best if you said oh he's gonna and don't say McVay because he's the best coach in the league you can't do that like this guy is what Kevin O'Connell could be for the Vikings
0: yeah that's difficult because I I want to stick with that tree just to make sense I mean Zach Taylor feels like a expectation for this first year at least I mean he didn't have a, a great first season obviously the second year Uh, or second and third year, third year was much, much better. Uh, But that's another disciple who, uh, I don't know, seems very similar into what he did with Sean McVay prior to getting a head coaching job and getting a head coaching job. And you're probably looking for an in-between of Taylor's second and third year, because Taylor's first year, that roster was abysmal. So if (laughs) Kevin O'Connell has a first year Zach Taylor year, that's horrible for the Vikings. But Zach Taylor was not working with much. But mm-hmm. last year, uh, he was dealing, He had a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, but probably an all-around roster pretty comparable to where the Vikings were. They, went, they won 10 games. They made it in the playoffs. They obviously made a run. I think that's kind of a very similar coach and situation that you would try to project on the Vikings. Obviously, quarterbacks in different spots of their career, but just game in, game out, at least during the regular season, Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins were probably playing pretty comparable football Obviously, Joe Burrow turns it up at the end of the year, makes a run to the Super Bowl. That's not comparable to Kirk Cousins, but throughout the year, similar quarterbacks, similarly graded quarterbacks, I think that fits the mold. And just one more point on what we were talking about. I just think I'm coming around to your point in that he probably needs a little bit more pressure. I just think that is setting up O'Connell for to to underwhelm expectations. I mean, if we just go through the last year, I way before they signed or they hired Kevin O'Connell, I did a huge coaching record thing where I was just looking at all the head coaches, how long they had been in the league and what their records were. Like last year, the newest, all the head coaches were new. Uh, two of them won nine games. Five of them didn't. Nine was the highest that any first year head coach won. If you go further back just to head coaches that have a above 500 record that were new head coaches in 2020. So far we have Kevin Stefanski. He's the only new head coach that through his two seasons has an above 500 record. If you go back to 2019, you have Matt LaFleur, who's obviously been been really good, but no other new head coach. Cliff Kingsbury's right at 500. Zach Taylor's well below 500. Freddie Kitchens was fired right away. Uh, Brian Flores was just under 500. These new head coaches haven't really been over 500 before. So I think, yes, he deserves more pressure than those guys based on the situation, but it might be setting him up to fail. But I think if he succeeds it's a Zach Taylor type season from last year uh, that you're getting from Kevin O'Connell. And you see, you can build into the future with him.
1: I love how generous you were being putting Kirk Cousins name next to Joe (laughs) Burroughs. I wouldn't, I mean, not in the playoffs, (laughs) of course I, but I mean, through the
0: first part of the regular season, Kirk was playing really, really well. Burrow was as well. I think they were comparable esque when you look at the rest of the roster and you can say, can he do what Taylor did? Uh, Obviously, you don't have Joe Burrow.
1: Folks, with baseball season in full swing, just a reminder: if you're headed downtown for baseball, make sure that you are dressed right. Go to Sodastick.com for all your Minnesota baseball gear. That is S O T A S T I C K. Go to their website, Sodastick.com. Check out everything they have: hats. T shirts. If it's one of those cool summer evenings, bring your hoodie as well. Check it out, sodastick.com. You won't find anything better. Go there today and use the code PurpleInsider for 15% off your purchase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe Burrow to me is a complete franchise changer, like early returns point to this guy could be like the best quarterback in the league, uh, which obviously is not the case. With Kirk Cousins, and I think that Burrow was actually the number one graded PFF quarterback from last year, even despite you know the sacks that he took. Uh, But anyway, that that, that's totally uh, neither here nor there. I'm not sure that Zach Taylor is actually a good coach. I am sure that Joe Burrow is a really good quarterback, and Jamar Chase is really good at catching footballs. Uh, But that's yeah, that's a little off the subject. But okay, so what it really comes down to, I okay, I mean, let me answer the question about comparable coaches you're really looking at Matt LaFleur and Kevin Stefanski as guys that you would talk about as best case scenarios. So if it's Matt LaFleur, he takes over a team that was kind of floundering a little bit. Really, if there was a team that did a competitive rebuild, it would be the green Bay Packers around Aaron Rodgers. that they went from not playing very well, 2017 to well, he's hurt in 2017, but 2018 not playing particularly well uh, under Mike McCarthy, McCarthy then gets fired. And here comes uh, Matt LaFleur, who changes the offense around, gets more out of Aaron Rodgers than Mike McCarthy was getting out of. Him. They build the roster up. They hit on some draft picks, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary. And then all of a sudden, they're a force to be reckoned with. Problem is their quarterback won MVP two years in a row. So like, yeah, that, I don't know. Like Mike McCarthy deserves some criticism, but his offense was also one of the best in the league last year. It was probably, a combination of Aaron Rodgers being pouty and their roster falling apart a little bit and then being able to rebuild it around a top three quarterback in the league. So I don't really think there's a comparison there. There probably is with the Cleveland Browns, where they were able to improve their roster, did help to have a quarterback on a rookie contract, but were coached so vastly better from what they had with Freddie Kitchens that they took a big step in improvement. Also similar vibes between those two guys, kind of intellectual guy, um uh, you know, humble, kind of c- more quiet, uh you know, not not somebody who's going to be yelling and screaming like a complete lunatic or something out there. That they picked the right guy for what the players were looking for and that could certainly help. What it comes down to a little bit fundamentally is how like how fair is it to hold them to a high standard that we think they might not reach or probably won't reach. Like, There's no one in the estimating world about the 2022 season that thinks they're going to reach the standard that they have to reach, in my mind, for this to be a success. Sorry, that's convoluted, but I think you know what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I that, I think that's the point I was getting at. I think at the beginning, I was factoring in my expectations with where the Vikings have kind of set Kevin O'Connell to be. But I think my expectations were already coming under what the Vikings have said we believe Kevin O'Connell can do. Because with the offseason moves, they have basically put their chips into the table to say, we believe Kevin O'Connell can be this missing link. I'm skeptical of that, and I'm skeptical of any head coach coming and being that missing link unless they are a, a proven coach, unless you are getting a Bill Belichick, like a, a coach that has just been around the block you know can come in right away and do that. And so I think they are giving him lofty goals and setting him with high standards, and that could either end up being a really good thing because he hits those, and it's like, wow, Kevin O'Connell really did – Well, but if they go eight and nine again, it's like, okay, we're stagnant again. Now we have to change the roster because we're not going to change the coach again. We now have to change the roster. So they have kind of, there's a a thin margin of error that they're trying to walk through in which they believe Kevin O'Connell can be this really, really great head coach. uh, Because I mean, that's what they're betting on with the moves that they've made already in the off season, they're betting on that. And if you can't do that, then a lot of roster changes are going to have to come and they're probably going to take a step back next year as opposed to this year. So they're gambling. They're gambling a lot. in Kevin O'Connell, which I respect the confidence. I'm just not sure you should be that confident as we talked about with the draft. I'm not sure you should be that confident about anything where you're betting that much on a head coach that has never once uh, been a head coach in the league, didn't call plays last year. Like it's a lot of things you're betting on, but if it hits, you're going to look really, really good.
1: Maybe there's a Nick Sirianni comparison here for um, Philadelphia. A younger guy who had never coached before comes even in. He went
0: nine and eight. So, right. it's, you
1: know, right. That's yeah. That And that's the thing is that the Matt LaFleur, Mike Vrabel, I don't really see much comparison, but they are both former players. Mike Vrabel is much more of a hard ass, I think, than uh, what Kevin O'Connell is going to be. But they are both former players and they brought in Ryan Tannehill. Started running the the simplistic offense, the bootlegs, you know, maximizing what Tannehill could do. But where I always end up kind of being held up with this whole conversation is the concept that the Vikings really held back Kirk Cousins. And there's just two things that don't match up, which is if you look at Kirk Cousins' career and you look at his numbers throughout his career and his PFF grades, they keep getting better. I mean, so like when you go back to Washington, 2017, his quarterback rating was a 93, his QBR was a 56 touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, I know these are basic numbers, but it's 27 to 13 every year with the Vikings. He did better than that by quite a bit every year with the Vikings. He did better than 2016 in terms of quarterback rating Um, yards per attempt. He's mostly the same or better. PFF grade. He's put up his highest PFF grades in recent years. And so that's where I always end up being like, well, so wait, so we think there's another level to this. We think that they were so lost and confused in the universe of offense that he put up his career highs. Like these, these are just conflicting things that don't match up. So it's kind of got to be one or the other. Like it's got to be that there's either a ceiling that's even higher than this uh, or that, that, that they were doing a, a decent job, if not a very good job of getting the most out of cousins. And there isn't another level to that. So really it's going to rely on, and this may be what they think, but they're spending the defense being a lot better than it was in order to get them to that 11, 12, 13 win threshold. I think that this is the thin margins of the NFL is that if they won 11, I, I think we would all go, Okay. I mean, that is a great year from Kevin O'Connell, 11 wins. You're either winning the division or you're right up there one game below the green Bay Packers. And that's more wins than cousins ever had with Mike Zimmer. And so write the narrative that, you know, Kevin O'Connell was the difference, but if it goes to nine, then it feels very much the same. And that, and like, that's just the NFL for you and uh, how things work. So, um final final thoughts on pressure level for Kevin O'Connell before we number randomize.
0: Yeah, I would I you convinced me a little bit to push it up just because of the expectations that they've set for him. Uh I I still don't think it's remarkably high. I think maybe a 6 or maybe a 7, but to me Kevin O'Connell's legacy is going to be based on what he can do for me at least in two years, two years, three years, four years. Uh if he can push this roster in the right direction, I think that's good. Uh, But I think we all kind of know the limits of this roster. And so I think what's really going to define him is what he can do with the next iteration of this team. And if he can get some good things out of this part of the roster and this season, I think all the better, but if he doesn't do that well this year, I don't think it's a death knell for, O'Connell, I think it more says they evaluated the roster incorrectly rather than they in, in like didn't val- evaluate the the coaching correctly. So I think he's got some pressure because they've obviously set up the roster, but by no means this is some make or break year or anything for Kevin O'Connell in his first year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I think that what we're talking about is the, the entire plan as a whole and how it will be judged. And you know, if if it ends up with being seven wins, then we'll be able to say, hey, man, that was not good enough in your first year. And there will be, I'm sure, plenty of reasons to criticize that I don't know yet because we haven't seen him coach. Uh, Okay, before we get to a random player, uh, I'm going to throw a couple coaches at you and you tell me whether you would trade Kevin O'Connell for that coach or not, okay? Okay. Would you trade Kevin O'Connell straight up for um cliff kingsbury no i wouldn't
0: uh i don't cliff kingsbury seems like another one of those where he's kind of holding his situation back whenever the the he's basically his offense is kyler murray go do stuff uh and i don't know if i love that i think there's a lot of you know there's some people on twitter and things that like like his run scheming but if that's the only highest uh thing that you have to you have to mark off for clings, Cliff Kingsbury then no I would take the unknown of Kevin O'Connell and hope he could be better and then kind of a middling head coach in Cliff Kingsbury.
1: Okay. The reason I pick Cliff Kingsbury is because his record is exactly 500 yeah. to start his career. But did win 11 games last
0: year. I and mean, but they completely fell off at the end of the year. I, they feel like more of that team than they do the
1: 11 team. but They had the 11th best offense in terms of points. Not bad. Uh, top 10 in terms of passing yards. 11th in terms of defense. Like this sounds kind of like what we expect from the Vikings to be. Uh, and and you might say, well, they had, they had more talent. They had a really talented team and that's why they were able to get to 11 wins despite their coach. Though Kyler Murray halfway through the season is in the MVP conversation and then suddenly ends up falling off. I'm not a Cliff Kingsbury guy myself. Uh, I don't think that he's like this absolute wizard, but it shows us, I think what that demonstrates is a coach who won 11 games last year. You're saying your coach should be better than that. And you would not trade uh, him for cliff Kingsbury that, I mean, that's kind of interesting. How about Brandon Staley? Would you trade him for Brandon Staley? I think I would trade him for Brandon Staley. Uh,
0: I think Brandon Staley has shown in his first year that he, both understands kind of his team. I think every, all the reports are that the team really enjoys him. That was something the Vikings needed last year. So that would be an upgrade from Mike Zimmer. Uh, The fact that he's a defensive coach scares me a little bit and that they're probably, if Justin Herbert's good, he's going to have a revolving door of uh, offensive coordinators in there. Same thing if Brandon Staley came here, Uh, but he seems to do all the correct things analytically in terms of fourth downs, two point conversions and seems to kind of get it from that sense. And so that's one where his arrow seems to be trending upward, uh, and he seems to have said the right things and be on the right track as a head coach. I'm not like a – there's there's a lot of momentum for Brandon Staley. He's like one of the best coaches in the league. I'm not quite there, but he feels on a different tier than Cliff Kingsbury and one that I think would – I would trade out the uncertainty of Kevin O'Connell for – Brandon Staley, because I think there's a higher ceiling involved for him.
1: Yeah, I I think that Brandon Staley handled himself well last year, but then there's another part of me that says, You had some of the best quarterback play in the league and missed the playoffs. Like, how did that how did that happen? Um that I think tells you how difficult it is like to be that first year head coach, because even as good as Brandon Staley came across uh, seemed very up to date on how he handled the fourth downs was very aggressive there and got a heck of a lot of good play out of Justin Herbert. I'm not sure they even fully maximized Justin Herbert on the offensive side that their offense may have held him back even a little bit from a great season. Uh, But just looking at, you know, him having a, a very low average depth of target and so forth and what he's capable of doing, that it's almost like it needs to be let loose even more in the same way that Buffalo did. And I think, you know, there's some coaches that there's no dispute whether, you know, you would trade him for Sean McDermott, who's one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, John Harbaugh is very clear. No one's doing this for Mike McCarthy. Um, So there's only a few that you can really compare him to. And uh, I, I was trying to think if there was anyone else that I would say, would you do this? How about any new coach like Nate Hackett, Josh McDaniels, Matt Eberflus, uh, and uh, any, yeah, <laughs> yeah, any of that? I, I think the answer is probably no. Like, and any of the other new coaches, I think you would just rather have Kevin O'Connell.
0: Yeah, I think the the one I, I mean, what do I know in terms of head coaches? In terms of what they can do, nothing. Their teams, uh, their
1: teams don't know when they yeah, hire them. They have uh, no idea. I, so.
0: I seem to like. I really enjoyed Brian Dable, so maybe you'd get me to trade that one. Uh, but other than that, there was no one that I was like, my God, the Vikings! You missed out. You didn't get this guy. Uh, so I think at that point, you you just trust the Vikings and, and that they picked one. So Brian Dable would be the only one that I would be willing to have a conversation about.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And I'm surprised that they didn't interview him. Yeah. I I'm also surprised that they didn't interview Byron left, which was yeah. al- always kind of a weird thing to circle back to of like what happened there? Why? Um, why wasn't he, you know, somebody that you looked into? So, uh, did you know, let me see, is this actually work that there is a random NFL player generator? Is this true? Oh, if this is true, this could be really, really something Big. for our content. Big. Yeah. Oh my gosh! There is okay. Is it the Vikings, or can do? Does it have to be all of
0: NFL? Because we're gonna get some yeah. random Seahawks backup guard that I've never heard of.
1: It it literally it is like the most like messy website you've ever seen. And there's just one button that says generate, and it okay. says like number of players, and then generate, okay. and then boom, it comes up with a player. Sure, Devin McCourty, first player oh, came okay. up with. Let's try it again. Eric Weddle. Carson Wentz. We need okay, so, someone,
0: someone listens to this podcast and is a computer science, like has that job. Just code us one of these generators. That's just Vikings players. So we can do that.
1: At least it does players that I've heard of. Like it's okay. not, it doesn't seem to be going deep into the roster for these players. Like okay. Jadavion Clowney just popped up Tyree kill, Derrick Henry, Trent Williams. So these are all players that seem to be like star level but this is, I mean, this is super funny though. Like what, what even is this website? All right, let's, uh, I wish it was for Vikings, but I'm just going to punch it and see who we get and then talk about that player. Aaron Donald. Good. Aaron Donald's very good. Oh, great player. <laughs> You'd love to have
0: him on the Vikings, man. I i don't know. Hot take. Hot, hot take. Hot alert. take. Yeah.
1: yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a way to do this for like 1997. That's a little out of your depth. Zach Ertz. So... Plays for the Arizona Cardinals now. Yeah, that's my take go, on go it. Go Zach
0: Ertz. Yeah, no, I mean, if if this was if they had the 1997 version, this would just be you and Eric Eager and and Manny Hill just on <laughs> yes. some text thread just talking about all the play random players that you've generated. So,
1: Joey Bosa, uh-huh. Trent Williams came up again. Okay, it seems like there's a maybe a limited number of players who will come up in this. There's
0: a Vikings bias. Apparently, we didn't get any Vikings.
1: Uh, no, Harrison Smith popped up. I just oh. didn't mention it. Julio Jones. Jason Kelsey. Okay, well, those are your random players. But uh, let's try it, Vikings version. New segment. here. Uh, 19 was the number that came up. So I've got the depth chart here. That would be, let's see, Patrick Peterson. Let's talk about Patrick Peterson for five minutes. Um, How much does Patrick Peterson matter to the Minnesota Vikings' success this year?
0: I think a lot in, in terms of just where they have him slotted. He's going to start against m- like maybe the number one corner. I think he is fulfilling both a big role on the field and off the field. We saw last year, he's a big leader just coming in year one. He's, an- he's basically at the podium after every game. He seems to be a vocal leader inside that locker room. So from an off-field perspective, he's really important in a secondary room that just got young with Andrew Booth and Lewis Scene. he's going to be expected to be a leader there. Even Cam Dantzler still super young, still learning from Patrick Peterson. So he's going to have to balance with a big role off the field with a unit that really needs him in a new coaching staff where he's going to be tasked with really helping these young guys along. And then on the field, if they have aspirations of being competitive, they need solid cornerback play. They don't need Patrick Peterson to be his pro bowl self again. They just need him to be average and not to be someone that opposing quarterbacks are just picking at where they're. Where's Patrick Peterson? Let's find him. Let's go after him. That's the bar he needs to clear. He just needs to be average. They seem like they're going to have enough talent behind him in that secondary uh, spot. So he just has to not be a liability. If he can be average, this secondary can be average. And then if the pass rushers stay healthy, this defense can be above average. So Patrick Peterson's a big linchpin in the back half of that defense. Because if he just can't play this year, then you're throwing Andrew Booth to the wolves, hoping he's healthy. You're throwing... Harrison Hand to the Wolves, like you're throwing guys that need a little bit of development time and haven't proven anything for a team that has playoff aspirations. So Patrick Peterson needs to be just an average player and he can get by and that'll make his contract way worth it. And, and the Vikings can be good on defense, but Peterson is one of the biggest linchpins there.
1: Yeah. The check actually cashed with Patrick Peterson last year. And that was one where we spent a lot of time saying, look at his numbers in Arizona. They're not very good. And uh, that he had fallen off pretty significantly. And look, it's not to say that he was the megastar Patrick Peterson that he was the year before. And there was an injury that was mixed in. And that's something you always worry about when a guy gets over 30. I also wonder how much of it last year in his success because context is really difficult with cornerback statistics. That's why we see guys have good years and get bad years and so forth. Teams were really attacking Bashad Breland and really attacking uh, Mackenzie Alexander last year and their numbers. They were two of the worst corners in the entire NFL that if you were an opponent, you were coming in going, well, you know, Patrick Peterson, he could still play a little bit. Let's not target him. And I also remember Daniel Jeremiah telling a story about how, when he worked in the NFL, that name recognition would usually mean so much, even if a guy didn't still have it, which I'm not saying that Peterson like didn't play well, but just to contextualize this and try to project forward that maybe name recognition and also the fact that two other corners were really struggling led to a lack of targets. Peterson even mentioned his lack of targets last year. It was like, who wants to tell them it's because they were throwing at Breland all the time. (laughs) Like that's why. And if he's targeted more this year, how much of a challenge is that going to be? It is a different defensive system. So Mike Zimmer actually got the most out of Patrick Peterson last year is Ed Donatel's system going to do the same for him? I have no idea. And, um, always funny to me when I see assertions that people make about, well, his scheme's going to do this, his scheme's going to do that. It's like, look, we, we really don't know. Um, we don't know exactly what they're going to do and how every person's going to fit in it. Only Ed Donatello really knows the things that they're going to do schematically. But, uh, I think that Patrick Peterson is one of those, like, if we were to name the five linchpin players to can they be like a really good team like in the playoffs and having a chance to go compete for a deep playoff run clearly kirk cousins is number one by far running away i don't think patrick peterson's very far down the list because if he plays really really well then not only like is that big for coverage which matters but you mentioned it like what did they get him for four million dollars like to have to have that Although, again, just a side note, it might mean the league didn't really think that Patrick Peterson was worth more than $4 million based on how they saw him play last year. But if he plays well for $4 million, that is incredible value that they've been able to get. So I I think that he does fall under that category of being one of the players that holds the keys to whether they succeed or fail this year.
0: Yeah, and I think he kind of, again, if he can just be average and the way this Vikings defense takes a big leap is Cameron Dansler goes to another level or Andrew Booth comes in and is just right away. You can see a first round talent, a lockdown corner. I don't think there's a world where Patrick Peterson reverts back to him, his Arizona self, and that he's a lockdown corner on the outside. So that's not what they're asking for him, but if he can be an average piece and he can be a leadership piece and he can help develop one of these other guys into being that number one corner and Peterson can be a solid number two, that's a really, really ideal scenario. So Peterson may start one in the depth chart, but he can just kind of stay where he is and he can allow other players to kind of move above him and his role can continue to just be solid. This defense can be really, really good, but I would agree. I mean, if you're going to name Kirk cousins, you're probably going to name one of the defensive linemen on this on, either sides, Darius or Daniel Hunter, you're probably mentioning Justin Jefferson and someone else for linchpins, but Peterson Peterson's right there uh, in terms of really, really important pieces for this team. And I I don't know, It's it's going to be really interesting for him because we obviously know he's not the athlete he once was, and he played well last year, but that's no guarantee him, that he can do that again this year every Mm -hmm. every year that you get from Patrick Peterson at this point is just a bonus and so you're just hoping for more of this past year Patrick Peterson than like one of the last years of Terrence Newman where it was like yeah we can throw him on the field but do we feel great about it maybe if he's our third fourth corner but Peterson's the first corner so he needs to be more what he was last year and less like some of the other old corners that the Vikings have had.
1: All right. I just, uh, did number randomizer on the 1994 Vikings and came up with Terry Allen. Okay. Great year. Great year. I'm going to be able
0: to give you much on that.
1: Yeah. Well that's, uh, what, what year, what year would, did you start say remembering like 10 years from now, which players will you be going like, remember that guy said like, Oh man, uh, 2012 maybe.
0: Yeah. Like right when we were in the 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 Favre ponder years, I was really, I was really into it at that point. So I don't know, maybe you'd be like, wow, man, Matt Asiata. You remember him? Wow. Just, mm, yeah. What a bowling ball. Two, two, three <laughs> yards. Every time. What, what a guy. Um, I
1: Matt, can do I, some remember
0: I can do some remembering of like Jerry oh, yeah. Allen and the Williams brothers. So I can do that. But you're, you're, if you go to 1994, if I recognize the name, that's a win. So
1: Terry Allen, um, was great for the Vikings, but then ended up like, leaving and going to Washington and leading the NFL in touchdowns a couple of years later, he was a guy that had like a a really serious knee injury in 1993 and then came back and went for a thousand yards. and was fantastic. The Vikings 1994 offense is incredible. Like Warren moon is the starting quarterback and he threw for 4,200 yards, which at the time was complete insanity. Uh, 122 receptions, for Chris Carter and somehow Jake Reed still ended up with 85 and Quadri Ismail with almost 700 yards. Like that's how much they were throwing the ball at that point. But I, I, yeah, if we're now we could, I mean, it's far enough removed now that even my first team that I covered, you could do remember that guy that like red Ellison is, is distant enough in the, in the past to be like, yeah, remember the time that they ran a um, like a, a counter run inside to red Ellison at the goal line versus the lions. And then yeah, there's going to be a game. lot of
0: that in 10 years. There's going to be a lot of. Remember when they were like running plays for CJ Ham to catch the ball? That'll, <laughs> yeah. that, in 10 years, that'll be the. Like, hey, we, we were running wheel routes like specifically for CJ Ham. Like, you. Uh huh. R- really? Yeah. You know, they yes. were. Yes.
1: Yes. 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 CJ Ham certainly falls into the Charles Evans, Scotty Graham category of like, oh, yeah, Jerome Felton. Remember those yeah. guys? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, good stuff, Paul. We'll, we'll go back to the number randomizer. That was like a seven, eight minute conversation about a player that we had no, uh, preparation for at no. all and just went number randomizer. So no, I love it. Good stuff. We'll do it again soon. Uh, Paul, you take care of yourself and uh, we will talk to you all again very soon.